Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. It sounds so great to say welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been about two months. We are back on the microphones. My name is Andrew Kuhn. His name is Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are we doing? Happy I'm, New Year. I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you doing? I am doing great. As you could see, we have a little new setup going on now, and we are recording in an office that has, how tall are these ceilings? About eight feet, probably? Uh, yes. So the quality, this is where we used to record. So the quality should come through a little it bit differently. should come through differently. We, I don't know if you will know, we had been recording for a long time, almost all the videos, uh-huh. uh, at some place with very high ceilings. <laughs> That's right. And if you, if you listen to the older podcasts, yeah. you could tell a difference. So we're back. We're back. It's 2021. We are back to bringing three podcasts a week. We aren't going to be using the Focus Compounding app anymore. We decided against it. Every single episode, all the backlog, everything will be available for free on iOS and um, uh, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we're back. Uh, we are excited to bring some content. How was the end of 2020? Was it was it good? Uh, the end of 2020 is fine, yeah. It was only like a month ago, right? Not even. About 19 days ago. So we... Uh, I guess a little bit of an update on us. We were on a research trip. We have yes. hopefully many plans that we're going to go on in 2021. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of plans for 2020 to do research trips, and of course, yeah. uh, that was halted. Um, but we did go on a research trip, and I thought for this episode, we could spend some time really just talking about our experience without maybe giving away where we were or what company we were visiting. Just our experience... Uh, reaching out to management, talking to management. We've done a lot of stuff over the phone, or mm -hmm. I guess I have. And we've also phone, done yeah. a bunch of ones in person as well. And you have too, that's right. We, we've do, we do some calls together. It's because of COVID. Some people that's correct. talk to us for pretty long periods of time, but don't want to meet in person. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So for anybody that wants to add that to their research process, reaching out to management, we always try to do it ourselves. Um, you know, maybe this will... Uh, you know, help you out. So I guess what is the main thing that you're trying to get away when you do speak with management? Obviously, you do a bunch of research yourself. So going into the meeting, right. you've done enough research to, you know, be very familiar with the business, be very familiar with the history of the business, mm -hmm. the management involved, etc. But what are you exactly trying to learn to make these meetings productive as possible? Well, first of all, you said we always try to do it. I would say that's not true. There are two cases I can think of where we don't. Okay. Um, one, because it's a public record in an SEC filing, we did not reach out to management when we wanted to buy a fairly large stake and That's were correct. concerned that management was worried about other past, whether you want to call it activism, whatever, in their stock. So we don't necessarily reach out to management if we think reaching out would um, uh, might be seen as threatening to management, correct. right? So that can happen. Uh, the second re reason we don't reach out to management would be in cases where uh, we frankly don't like management. So if we were going to buy shares in a stock where we didn't like management or didn't trust management or something like that, mm -hmm. um, thought management had been involved in anything bad, uh, then we would not reach out. That's another reason why we want to do it. So we don't talk to people who we don't trust, basically. Mm -hmm. And then we also don't talk to people where we, uh, a meeting like that would be seen as threatening or something like that. Mm -hmm. So in other cases where management is more open to talking, then we do try to reach out to management. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you know, it depends on, for us, I think it depends 
on the kind of company and the structure that it has. Mm -hmm. So you've talked to some where if it's a very professionally managed company, diverse shareholder base, bigger company, it's fairly easy to talk to investor relations, but not necessarily that you're going to get a lot of information from them. Yeah, so it's very boilerplate. Right. Whereas if it's a family control company, things like that, they might not talk to you at all. Mm -hmm. um, but if they do talk to you, you'll get a lot of information from it. Mm -hmm. And then it varies depending on that. Um, the people you can talk to are usually going to be investor relations, uh, CFO, and then you have your CEO or someone like that, or depending on if it's a different structure, like the chairman, things like that. And um, it depends on the company, what we're interested in talking to them about. Because some companies have a different structure where the CEO and the chairman or, or the board in general may not be it, talking to one of them will give you enough information about everything else. So we're always interested in capital allocation, which means we really want to talk to the board basically mm -hmm. for that. Um, or key influences, controlling people and stuff. So that can be family members, that can be a founder who's still there, uh, those sorts of things. Um, and then on the other hand, we also want to learn about like how the business works, the sales cycle, things like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say there's some boilerplate questions that okay. I always ask when I'm talking to so what are some management. And it, even if I understand how they earn revenue, it literally is like, so take me through step one. What's the sales cycle like? And sometimes they'll really open up and be like, well, okay, so we get this package and then we get this customers and we send it to this FedEx and we do that. And mm -hmm. he takes me through the whole process of how he does it and he or she. And it really is just good to hear the business from their perspective on what they're looking at. I mean, we're looking at um, numbers all day long in the financials. And a lot of times people forget that, well, this is actually a real business mm -hmm. that is attached to it. So I think a really good boilerplate question that we always ask is, what's the sales cycle like? Take me from you know step one to step earning that revenue. And then there's some other things that we like to ask as well. Um, I don't know if it's because we are in the microcap space or whatever, but what's the shareholder base like? Yes. Do a lot of investors reach out to you often? Kind of get a feel for that. What's the rationale behind why we do that? Um, so there's a few reasons. And this would this would be yeah. different if you're reaching out to a Cinemark or a AMC mm -hmm. or an, an Apple, for example. Yeah, it'd be totally different, sure. Um, so... There's a few reasons why we do it. One is to have an idea of how they think about being a public company. That for, for microcap companies especially, but it could also be true for some bigger companies, it's very important to get an idea of how they view their company. Why are they public? Um, what do they see as their job, their duty? Um, and that's important in, I mean, that was important when I invest in Japanese net nets. It's important when you invest in really big companies because uh, you can look at some really big companies and honestly, from the investor presentation stuff, you can tell, are they interested in making a profit, paying dividends and things like that? Are they interested in growing the company a lot and then like selling out to someone or, you know? Um, so that's the biggest reason why we ask that question. Another one is how overlooked are they? We invest in overlooked stocks and we generally don't want to invest in a stock where they tell us that we have a meeting like this a couple times a week, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then other reasons are things about how we're going to get the shares and stuff too, I would say is another factor in it. Mm -hmm. And knowing the shareholder base is helpful in that way. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on capital allocation? And uh, when, when speaking to a management for example, there's been a couple situations. Mm -hmm. I could think of one that was actually more recent where I spoke to a CEO and it was I was trying to get a feel for how important their dividend is to them. Mm -hmm. If you look at all of their material or whenever they describe their company in the news, they always push out there that they've paid a dividend for yeah. 
20 to 25 years. That's something that they're very proud at or proud with. So I guess what are your thoughts on, and I guess every situation could be very individualistic, so could be kind of general, but when you're trying to talk to these managers and get their feel towards Apple or capital allocation, what are you trying to get out of that? Yeah, I think capital allocation is probably one of the biggest uh, things that you can get a lot from talking to management because most 10Ks and things like that include the same language regardless of what they intend to do with cap allocation. So we've had companies invest in where they mention that they may have to issue a lot of stock. Mm-hmm. But then if you talk to anyone involved in the company, there's no chance they're going to issue stock. Um, so or they'll say the bankers told them to put it on their presentation. Yeah. So why do they include things like that? Yeah. Um, and at other times, you have things like a dividend, the way you were talking about that company, where they're going to pay that dividend no matter what happens. Um, if a company hasn't had debt in the past, it's important to talk to them about like, well, have you not had debt in the past because you have this great fear of debt? Do you, how do you think about like your cost of capital and things like that? Is it just that if there was a really big opportunity, you would take on debt, but you're not going to recapitalize the existing company with debt? What's the reasoning for that? And a lot of times they'll explain that well there. They don't in the 10K. The 10K is not very candid document that way so it doesn't really explain certain behavior that you can see in the past the most important thing is what their actual past behavior was all of these things are going to be much easier if the you're talking to someone who founded the company who's like second generation who's been there a long time um this is all very hard when it's someone who's new we've tried to talk to companies where management is new and stuff and i think it's very difficult very difficult to get a feel for what they actually are going to do we're not really interested in looking for what their plans are I would say, how do they think about the business? How do they think about capital allocation? How do they really view things? Another thing is how um, you know sane and realistic are they about things? Um, a lot of times people think it's a good thing if, say, the company's buying back stock or something. But you know, if in the middle of the COVID thing, you're using all the money you have to buy back stock, um, that could be good. I mean, it turns out for many companies it worked out well. Uh, but on the other hand, depending on what your industry, what industry you were in, it also could be a sign of recklessness on the part of management that they just said, oh, we just buy a dip and not realizing what that would be if you couldn't access capital or something. So if you were hotels, cruise lines and things, and you just went trying to buy back all your stock in the middle of that, I don't know if I would... Uh, think that's a sign or insider buying people always think insider buying buying is a good thing i think insider buying is a good thing if it you know if we would be buying the stock mm-hmm. then that's good but if they're sometimes insider buying is just too much faith in the company mm-hmm. um you know there are plenty of people who go broke um while having a lot of state or having a lot of skin in the game and stuff right what are your thoughts on trying to get to industry facts from the company and I guess their thoughts on the industry. So maybe if you are speaking to a movie theater, for example, an executive and think about or ask them what their thoughts on, do they think the amount of screens will decline or increase in the future and stuff like that, trying to get industry facts. Yeah. Is that some stuff you you usually like to do? I think it's good. I think it's harder the more they talk to other investors. So I think the answers you get are more honest the less that they've thought about that question being posed to them, the more that that, que- that exact question you're asking has been posed to them by other investors, the less useful it is because it becomes like a political thing where they knew that going into the debate, they were going to be asked that question or that press conference. And so they had a canned answer for it. Mm-hmm. So f- if you're one of the biggest movie theater companies, publicly traded or something, then basically you have a scripted answer to that because you know that's one of the biggest concerns of investors mm-hmm. is things like that. 
yeah, it's weird. We've talked about it before. Like maybe if you looked at different data from like the 70s and 80s and managers were quoting Buffett, it was probably something that was great. But nowadays mm-hmm. when somebody quotes something that I know comes from Buffett or something, a, a management team, I'm like, uh, is he saying this because he or she saying this because he knows that's what I want to right. hear or because they actually feel that way. And that's another reason for asking them the shareholder base. Is it one of the reasons, you know, mm-hmm. um, to get an idea of whether they have a lot of like value investor type people, growth investors, whatever, and how they think, um, th- what they think would please their investors and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, what are some other good forms of scuttlebutt that you've done over the years? I was reading some of your past singular okay. diligence reports and Breeze Eastern specifically. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys do? for the scuttlebutt maybe talk about it it's actually all the reports on the focus compounding website because i you guys were you know getting really into the nitty-gritty of the pricing and like the competitive situation and stuff like that well well for that one it was really just talking to customers Mm -hmm. that was easy because the customers put out a press release a lot of times saying that we've um purchased six helicopters for our search and rescue operations and they're equipped with breeze eastern you know equipment and stuff so it that's easy and you can find them and then they're not very big customers um and it's a big deal for them so they're happy to talk to you about it um so yeah and you can get tons of information from customers it's yeah very easy that way um customers are the best people to talk to um people who make the purchasing decision i would say um on the other hand inside the company people who are doing the selling are usually the best so the people who are interacting on the other side of that deal um but whoever's making the deal on both sides of that so um the the part of the customer if it's a retail customer you know then i mean if it's a consumer then we're just talking about that person but generally if we're talking about a business to business thing then we'd be talking about the person making the purchasing decision and inside the company the person making the selling decision Mm -hmm. the next best one is um, branch managers gms people like that at the company anyone who has a real good frontline ability to observe what's really going on in the industry the further you get away from that the more uh removed you are from what actually is driving the business and also the more aware they are of investors so i was gonna say the further up you go yeah to like exactly people that deal with investors more often and stuff right they become more aware of investors and they also know less about their business so a ceo generally like take a movie theater company a ceo of a movie theater company really doesn't understand the movie business as well as a gm Um, they don't understand the market as well now the gm only understands their specific market but they understand what drives behavior of moviegoers i think in a way that's better than the ceo or can be because they can become very removed from it. Mm-hmm. Remember some of these people, it depends on the company, but there are companies where people, ha- where the company has branches and things and the managers spend almost no time in them. Um, there are other ones where that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. Sam Walton or something. But um, you can get very far removed. It would be very easy if you're the CEO of an airline to like not really know what goes on inside airplanes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, they're flying private. Um, I'm kind of curious how do you speak to those gms then without stepping on anyone's toes and going around the chain of command if you will well you might step on people's toes yeah, yeah that's possible uh-huh. so it's just being upfront and honest about what you're doing no wherever possible i use other people i mean that's what buffett did that's my preferred method if we can get other people to do it that aren't us that's the best way to do it and to gather the information uh-huh. um that's definitely the best way and that's mainly how we've been able to do it in the past the problem is if you approach 
as a fund and stuff like we would, then you're going to get referred pretty quickly to investor relations and to all those sorts of things and stuff and not being able to gather information from the people that you actually want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sometimes they're okay with doing that kind of stuff. I mean, we did a trip with management where they had uh, someone who was involved in selling stuff, uh, you know, show us what they had on offer mm-hmm. um, just as they would someone who trying to close a deal the same exact way. That's just an employee that, you know, um, doesn't care to please investors or not. Um, but uh, that's very useful to have that and to get that. I mean, if you are looking to invest in a car company, you can obviously go to a dealership and see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy in some of those cases. Stores, it's easy. Restaurants, it's easy. I mean, I went to those things. Uh, movie studio, I watched the movies and stuff and tried to go to movies in person and stuff to get a feel for that. So all of those are fairly easy that way um but yeah depending on the company though they could get worried yeah Mm -hmm. so we avoid reaching out that way i like to gather as much information as just for like research purposes as possible and also to use different people whenever possible to do the work just like if you read the early buffett Mm -hmm. days it's really same thing if you read the snowball especially about um, some of the people named there that you don't really recognize their names who helped them out on different things, looking into different companies. Um, those using different people based on their skills because different people have stuff that they're good at. Some people are good at calling people, getting a meeting, whatever. Some people are good at gathering information online, going through records and things. Some people are good at doing the GM type stuff or a scuttlebutt that's more in person and all that kind of thing. Um, and then there's just areas that people are not good at mm-hmm. either. So I, if ideally I would use a lot of different people to gather information from a lot of different angles on a company. Yeah. And try to distance it as much as possible from yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious how you think about marketing channels for companies and stuff like that. Like in the scuttlebutt you could do on that. I mean, marketing drives sales, revenue, mm-hmm. cash flow, et cetera. And again, as investors, we're always looking at the numbers and really, I think to become a great investor, it's really thinking about it not as a stock and as if you're just looking at a, a company and judging a, an actual business itself. So, I mean, do you ever think about different ways that companies market and how much they spend on marketing and compare that to other businesses in the industry or maybe the management's view on, on marketing and all sorts of things like that? Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things. Maybe the most important. Actually, I don't know if I've said it here before, but I when people ask like what classes should they take in school and things like that if they want to be an investor, I would strongly suggest marketing. Really? Yeah. Mar- I think that marketing is one of the most... I would say accounting. Um, yeah. I think accounting is number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think learning a lot about marketing. I think if you take courses on business administration and stuff, they're not as good as courses directly focused on marketing. Um, they're fairly practical and they give you more of an insight into how it's actually done as opposed to business administration, a little more theory stuff. Um yeah, I think it's one of the most important things, and it's one of the biggest things that can be changed. A lot of companies could be doing a lot better or worse, depending on how they marketed things. And so it's easy to go and look at the product and stuff like that. Um, it's a really big uh, focus. Now, just in the 10K and stuff, you can get information about how much they're spending on advertising or something like that. But then, as you know, from me asking things, I ask things like, so is all of your, so say we know the advertising budget. So is all your advertising done through one agency? Where is that agency? You know, who is that agency? Um, 
what kind of focus do they have on different things? Have you ever put that account in review? Mm-hmm. How long have you been there? <clears throat> um, because, you know, there's somewhere I'd say to you afterwards, I think they're not getting their money's worth. Mm-hmm. I think they're not with the right agency. Um, and then marketing who I always ask, you know, who inside your company, if they don't tell me, who inside your company is like the internal marketing person who's the most focused on marketing stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've had everything from an answer that was like, we don't have an internal marketing mm-hmm. function. We have an agency. Yeah. To, um, yeah, we just hired a marketing guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did that because, you know, it stole him from another place or something. Um, it's the biggest thing in which you can have a sudden jump in your results and somewhat sustainable jump, especially if you already have data, right? So the biggest thing is it depends on the company. But sometimes company ha- companies have a lot of data, especially more old-fashioned companies don't realize this. They have a lot of data on their customers. They could really squeeze more out of each customer, do all sorts of things, and they aren't because they aren't applying like a new approach to marketing. Mm-hmm. Now, companies that have very little data and very little interaction with the end customer are going to have them. There's not much that you can do to really improve your marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I mean we always talk about revenue and cash flow and stuff like that, but it's like, how do you get that? It's how do you get to the customer? How do you sell the customer? How do you bring the customer in? And it's really judging, you know, different marketing that companies are doing and how to judge that. Hey, investors know? underrate marketing the most of anything. Uh-huh. It's very important. I would love to meet the marketing person in a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. I'd love to meet their agency, but they're not going to let me do that. But um, I mean, well, what would you ask them? They know so much. They they understand the customer mm-hmm. and they understand the product. Now you can get this also from a salesperson. Sure. Honestly, when you talk about Breezy Eastern stuff, when you talk to them, they understand. Or if you talk to someone honestly who's selling cars and stuff, they understand um, why this product does not sell and why it does and stuff. Like they understand. I can't sell this to certain people. I they understand the weak points of mm-hmm. their of their product. Um, you know, they understand that you're saying like, look, the upfront cost of this is just so high compared to other things that even if the total cost of ownership is better over time, I can't sell this to someone unless there's a focus on that kind of thing, like a corporate customer over time like that, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, marketing, I think is the one I'd be most interested in. Um, you can find some things out. We can find out the, sometimes, I mean, the background of the person who's involved in the marketing, Mm -hmm. um, the age, uh, things about how they might think about stuff, um, th- those sorts of things. I mean, we talked about a company where uh, I would like to see more a younger person, more focused on social media. I was going to say like that's that. that's what's pretty cool in 2021 is every single company, I would say for the most part, they have some sort of social media presence. And it's really, right. you can learn a lot about the business. Maybe they're giving sometimes daily updates, things like that through their social media channels. So I always go and look and follow every single social media page of every single company that we uh, um, that we follow. And again, it's like, I mean, we don't own movie theaters, but if there's a, a movie theater in Plano, Texas or wherever, um, that Plano, Texas location probably has their own movie theater uh, i'm sorry has their own uh, facebook page and stuff like that so you could really follow these companies on a you know pretty uh day-to-day basis if you wanted yeah and so that's a good example um we had talked to a movie theater company and i had lots of questions about gm stuff they mm-hmm. gave very little information about them but i had lots of questions about where did they get them from how much do they pay them how much is the bonus structure versus uh, upfront things mm-hmm. um lots of stuff about that because uh, GMs are so important in like an operation like that where there's um, where they have you know may, might have two dozen screens 
that that's not something that I think investors think enough about. Um, they think that people higher up in the organization are so important, people lower down aren't. But honestly, who's running all of your stores is very, very important because those are big stores. You know, a restaurant company, if we talk about like, uh, we don't own Arc, but Arc is a good example that people can look up. It doesn't own that many restaurants. So each restaurant is pretty big. They've mm -hmm. disclosed on the earnings call how much the GMs make. It's not a small amount of money. And those GMs are incredibly important because they're each running their own little profit center. Mm -hmm. And the success or probably failure has Facebook of the restaurant probably has a lot to do with one, like the goodwill that's built up of either being there or not over time, but two, location and three, GM. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times if they switch out who the GM is, you know, that's one of the questions that I asked is like uh, for a movie theater thing is when you've had a problem, has it been location? Oh, when you switch a GM, does that fix the problem? That's a really good hint. Because there's one company I was looking at where asked about that and they've said, look, if we switch the GMs, then the problem goes away. And there's another company that said, it's location. We can't switch GMs and fix it. Mm -hmm. So we close the location. So that tells you different competitive things. One is mismanagement for some reason that has to do with operational stuff. And one is there's too many competitors open in certain areas and that just makes it impossible to get good returns. Got it. Cool. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us here today on the Focus Compounding Podcast, bringing you three episodes a week again, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We record on Mondays. That's what we're going to do going forward. But Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So make sure you hit that subscribe button both on YouTube. Give us five stars on iTunes. Go to focuscompounding.com to get access to Jeff's write-ups on stocks. Um, and you'll be able to subscribe there. And of course, follow me on Twitter, which is where I push everything out. I want to thank everybody so much for joining in with both of us here today. And we will see you in the next podcast.